The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're kicking off a brand new series this morning called Gospel-Shaped People. And if you're a note taker, you can write this title down so much more. The word gospel means good news. The gospel that we refer to as Christians is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose again, forever triumphing over all of his enemies, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And we understand that we're saved by the gospel. It's something that we understand when we become a Christian. And I think as Christians, we like to use this term saved as a benchmark of the place where our eyes were opened and we made the decision to follow Jesus, where we believed in our heart and we confessed with our mouth, as Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, that Jesus is our Lord and that we are saved. And we make this distinction of this moment where we made a decision and we will revisit that and say, I was saved, you know, uh, when God did this in my life or, or, or when I saw this or when I heard this message or I responded to an altar call or what have you. And we use that to remember and recognize the fact that we responded to the gospel when we saw our need for a Savior and we saw the hopeless state that we were in, when we saw the fact that we needed rescuing, when we saw the depravity of our fallen nature and we began to see that I can't save myself, I need someone else. And when we depend on Christ, confess Him as our Lord and Savior, we then become what we as Christians call saved where we have been saved and made that decision in our lives. But I don't believe that Romans 10, 9, and 10 is a one-time event where you just make this confession of faith and you make this decision to follow Jesus and then that's just kind of it. No, I think Romans 10, 9, and 10 where we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that this should be something that the believer continues to grow in and continues to do. Not we did this thing one time and then we're good and we're done and we just keep on moving throughout life. No, rather than it just being this one-time thing that we say and do, uh, the believer should continually, as we learn more and more about Christ, as our understanding of the gospel begins to deepen, we should more and more begin to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, where I'm now surrendering at a deeper, newer level to the Lordship of Christ, where I'm submitting to His leadership, where it becomes about me understanding this thing is not about me, but rather it's about the glory of God. And my life begins to get new purpose. All of a sudden, I begin to understand at a new level my purpose because I'm now seeing my need for the gospel, my need for Jesus because we know we never stop needing Jesus. We never stop needing the gospel. It's more than just a one-time event. There's so much more. And if we just chalk it up to a one-time event or a one-time confession or one-time uh, thing that we made this decision, then we're missing out on the power of the gospel because, yes, the gospel does save us, but I believe that the gospel does so much more as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ that it's not just that thing that we do um, when we become a Christian and have that milestone event of being saved and made new on the inside. Romans 1 and 16, the Apostle Paul it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He was speaking to the church in Rome that's made up of Jews and Greeks, and he tells them, listen, I am not ashamed of this gospel. 
He said, it has power in it, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. He tells Timothy, his young apprentice, in one of his letters that he wrote to him, that he's not ashamed of the gospel in which he is in chains for. The reason that he is locked up in prison, the reason that he's being shackled is because he has proclaimed the gospel, because he is sharing and spreading the gospel. He says, and I'm not ashamed of these chains. And so he encourages young Timothy, don't be ashamed of me or my chains because these chains, the reason I'm here is because I am declaring and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. So what then? If I believe and if I trust in the grace of God and I put my faith in Jesus, what role then does the gospel play in my life after that? It, wouldn't it mean I'm kind of done with that phase? Wouldn't it mean I'm kind of done with that step? So many Christians think this way. They think that after receiving the gospel that your next step is just to grow stronger as a Christian. And the dangerous part is that they try to grow stronger as a Christian apart from the gospel. And they get into this thinking of just trying to be moral people living moral lives. And now I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to act a certain way and do certain things. And they spend the rest of their lives trying to do that. But they try to do it apart from the gospel because they think that that's over with. I'm done with that. And they miss the power of the gospel to not only to save me, but to also do so much more because the gospel is a pool where toddlers can wade and where elephants can swim. It is simple enough for a child to understand, but profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. We're not only saved by the gospel, but church, we are strengthened by the gospel. There is so much more to the gospel, and we should not neglect the good news of Jesus Christ because we may be able to say, oh, but pastor, I, I know the gospel. I'm a Christian. I don't understand. This, this seems elementary to me. But yet, not only are we saved by the gospel, but we are continually strengthened by it. Go over to Romans chapter 16. Let's look at what Paul said as he was closing up his letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 16, the very end of Romans there, Romans 16, and let's start reading in verse 25 in this doxology here that Paul writes to them. He says this in Romans 16 and verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to every nation according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience to the faith. To the only wise God be forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He writes here in the closing of his letter to the church in Rome, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the gospel I've been preaching to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's trying to encourage those who are already Christians to not only be recipients of the gospel unto salvation, but now to be strengthened in the message of the gospel, to be strengthened in Christ. And it's not only the gospel that saves, but it also sustains. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4. And let's go over to verse 10, because we're not just going to jump into Philippians and read Philippians 4 and 13, although we are going to get there. 
Philippians 4.13, in my humble opinion, is the most miscontextualized scripture on planet earth, especially in America where we take that one little text out and we make it mean something it really doesn't mean. We hear the Apostle Paul say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we say that. And we put it on t-shirts and shoes. And we, 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 we love that scripture. We'll buy something at Hobby Lobby and put it above our sink, you know, Philippians 4 and 13. But do we really understand what Philippians 4 and 13 is actually saying? Because there is power in Philippians 4 and 13 that you may not realize that has everything to do with the gospel everything to do with the gospel. So we got to back up and look at it in context, right? Let's back up and look at a little bit more about what Paul is saying here. Just to set this up, Paul is addressing this gift that's going to be given to him by people who previously were really poor and they couldn't give him a gift or take care of him, even though they knew he had a need, but their heart was there and their heart was to help Paul out on his journey, whether that was with food or resources or finances or whatever the case was. They wanted to do something, but it was outside of their ability and Paul had heard that they wanted to help him. And he was thanking them for their good intention, even though they didn't have the ability to help. But now they were in a position where they could help, and they were going to do something, and they had promised to do something for him. And so now Paul is also thanking them for that. But listen to the way that he phrases this conversation that he has as he's addressing this issue of receiving this gift and how they're wanting to bless him. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So you cared, you just couldn't do anything at that time, right? We've all been there where we saw a big need, but we couldn't do anything about it at that moment. He said, I, I appreciate that you, you cared about me, but there was no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's appreciative about what they're going to do for him, but he's letting them know that whether they did it or not, he still has learned how to be content. He's learned how to receive gifts, and he's learned how to do without. And he goes on to say that in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So as we look at this in context, he's saying, listen, I have a source of strength that helps me to be content, and I'm okay whether you guys bless me or not. Because he said, I'm not really driven by my need in the fact of writing to you or addressing you or having a relationship with you. It's not about my need. I appreciate your concern. And I know you're doing something now and you couldn't before. Listen, thank you for that. But I'm not speaking to you from a point of my need because I've learned a secret, and I want to share that with you as you guys have this big heart to want to help me out here. He said, I've learned how to be brought low, 
and I've learned how to abound. And the only reason I could do this is because Christ gives me strength to do this, because Christ has given him a greater purpose. It's easy to be thankful to God when all your bills are paid, when you know you're getting paid this next Friday, when your car's full of gas, when your house payment's made, maybe when you're, you're out of debt and you feel like everything is going pretty well in your life, people seem to be pretty happy with your job performance, things seem to be going pretty well and working and clicking your way. It's easy to go, wow, thank you, Lord, I'm blessed. And we put all of those things in this category of blessing. But then when things start to get rocky and things start to get questionable or it gets hard, all of a sudden we don't feel like we're blessed anymore. And Paul said, you're missing blessing altogether. You're missing, he's trying to communicate to them this idea of you're missing the point because you're categorizing what real blessing is. And he's saying, listen, I have been brought really low and I have abounded and I have learned through all of that to still be content. How do you do that, Paul? How can you be content when you're shipwrecked, when people are chasing you to want to kill you, when they're imprisoning you and beating you and mocking you, and where people want you, you, you dead? They don't want you doing what you're doing. You used to be celebrated. You've sat at the tables of kings, and you, you, you've eaten with dignitaries. And, and you, he said, yeah, I've done all the stuff over here, and I've, and I've been brought low. He said, you know what? regardless of where I'm at, whether you're supplying me with some need or not, and I'm receiving that material blessing from you or that physical blessing, I'm still blessed. I'm still strengthened. I'm still going to be okay because I've learned in every situation to be content. And the strength, that, the, the source of strength that enables me to be content is Christ. It's Christ who gives me strength. It's not because I'm Paul and I'm so sharp and I'm so awesome and I've got this great 401k and I know it's all going to be all right. And no, he said, it's not because I have some great security pad, you know. I know that if, you know, one of my houses, you know, gets destroyed, I've got another one at the beach, you know. I'm not, it's not because I have some great backup plan. It's because my life's purpose and my heart has been oriented and strengthened and shaped by the gospel because it's not only the gospel that saved me, but it's the gospel that's given me strength to keep on persevering through the trials, through the sufferings. That's why Paul could say that we suffer with Christ, and he actually was proud of the fact that he would suffer with Christ to, to join Christ in his sufferings. To be persecuted for the gospel's sake to Paul was an honor to be counted worthy of the gospel and that he's carrying this message and able to share this truth with so many people. And it was that purpose in his life that had been given to him by the gospel that he knew it's not my own strength. It's not because I'm some great communicator. It's not because I deserve this. Because at the end of the day, Paul knows that he deserved what every one of us deserved, and that's hell. But because of Jesus, we're not going to get it. <laughs> The, the wrath of God, has, 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 we have avoided the wrath of God because Jesus Christ has paid the price as to where we no longer have to be afraid of death. What's the worst thing that people could do to us? What's the absolute worst thing that you could think of? Well, somebody could kill me. That would be pretty bad. Yeah, I might be missed by a few people here for a little while. But at the end of the day, if they kill me, I, I get a promotion. I get to see Jesus face to face. I no longer have to, have to suffer in this world. I will be with him to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And, and now here, I'll, uh, the next thing I know is that I'll be with Jesus. And 
I mean, so death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear those things. We're no longer, as we sing sometimes, a slave to fear because we're a child of God. I'm not a slave to that sin. I'm not a slave to, to, to that fear because the wages of sin is death. The earnings of sin is death. The, the, the result of sin is death. But death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory because I've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that should give me strength to be content wherever I'm at whatever I'm going through. And so I am strengthened in the gospel. And the Apostle Paul, it's interesting how he says, I have learned how to be brought low. He's learned how to endure and persevere through the difficult times because of the strength Christ has given him. But also, he's learned how to be humble when he's in a good season where he seems to be abounding. Because how quickly can we drift from the gospel when things are going well in our lives? Oh man, we run to Jesus when we got problems, don't we? But then when things start to kind of level out and we get to kind of a happy place in life, whether that be finances, kids, marriage, work, whatever, oh, we, we kind of leveled off here. You know, the boat's not quite rocking as hard. The waves aren't crashing quite as high and things are going pretty good. So we began to drift away from our need for Christ and we don't mean to, it's just we begin to get self-sufficient, and we begin to think we got this, and oh, things are going well. I'm glad God helped me through that bump in the road. And he's like, no, you never stop needing me. We never stop needing Jesus, church, because we're saved by the gospel, yes, but we are strengthened by the gospel every day. We need the gospel in our lives actively. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel lest we begin to think that this is somehow the good things happening in our lives are somehow by our own doing. That when we are abounding, that we lose humility and begin to look at ourselves as being self-sufficient. That we drift from pursuing Jesus and we lose sight of our need for the gospel. The gospel enables me to understand a greater purpose for my life because it shifts the attention to God instead of us. It shifts the attention. It shifts the purpose of my life. It shifts everything. And not only are we saved by the gospel, not only are we strengthened by the gospel, but we are shaped by the gospel. The gospel enables me to live life with a different purpose. I live life when the gospel is at the core, at the center. I live life in light of eternity. Everything begins to change the way that I steward the resources of my time, my talent, my treasure, the things that God has given me becomes different. I begin to think differently because now I'm thinking like someone who is eternally minded instead of temporal minded. I begin to think that eternity matters more regardless of what situation I may be in, whether I'm abounding or whether I am struggling. And the strength that I have to be able to, to keep that eternal mindset and that eternal focus comes from the gospel. It helps to temper my heart, to orient my desires. It begins to shape my values. And if the gospel is shaping my values, then the decisions that I make are going to be driven by the gospel because we all make decisions from our values. 
whatever you value, I mean really value, not the things that you write down when you're taking a test in Sunday school, right? The stuff we actually value, those are going to drive our decisions, the things that we think are most important. That's how we're going to spend the resources of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. We're going to spend, spend, spend our lives on the things we value, and we'll make decisions accordingly. And if we have the gospel as the centrality of our lives, and we understand that not only does it save me, but it strengthens me, and I also want the gospel to shape me, then it begins to mold my values to be kingdom-minded values. Kingdom-minded values and kingdom values, Jesus said in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. That's a kingdom value. That's a gospel-centered value because the value then becomes Jesus and pleasing Him and serving Him and living for Him. And everything I do from that point becomes filtered through the eternal impact and the eternal weight that it has. I bought an old truck about a year ago, and I mean, it's, it's not impressive, right? <laughs> it's really not. It's just an old beater truck that I saw, thought it was a good price, and I bought it, and then what do you know, I bought a fixer-upper, and I've put more money into it than what I paid for it when I bought it. You ever had that situation? And I, I was at a crossroads for a long time. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, do I get rid of this thing? And I would ask, you know, everybody that would give me time and listen to my story of all the things I've done to this truck. And I'd say, what should I do? I'd ask my friends, should I get rid of this thing? Should I sell it? Should I hang on to it? And then during the middle of all this stuff and all this frustration with this old truck, you know, when you're a guy with a truck, people, they like to ask you things, right? Because you're the guy with the truck. And they could even have a truck, but if your truck looks worse than theirs, they want to do stuff in your truck, not theirs. I found this out by owning a truck, and I'm like, people say, well, can I use your truck or can I borrow your truck? I'm like, yeah, but don't you have a truck? Oh, yeah, but I got to like haul some limbs and stuff, and I don't want mine to get scratched up. Oh, okay. And they're like, you obviously don't care if this truck of yours gets scratched up, and it's pretty apparent by the way it looks, and you're right. It is the truck that you can haul anything in. And I began to evaluate why I have this thing. And you know, I'm not going to have this truck forever, but while I do have it, God helped me reorient my heart and my purpose to why I have this truck. And he said, use it for my glory. I'm like, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. Take it. Use it. And so, you know, I, which is kind of a dangerous thing to do in front of, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, on a Sunday morning to say, hey, if you need my truck, you know, you can have it, you know, which is, but hey, it's, it's Jesus's truck at the end of the day, right? Even though it's old and rusty, and, and, but that old rusty truck can do things that a nicer truck you wouldn't want to do in. So, hey, for the glory of God. And so how can I begin to think that way about everything? Back in May of this year, our staff went to a conference called Right Now Media, and it literally has become a milestone in my life of a deep, deep change, a personal revival, I would call it, where God showed me some things about myself that when he showed them to me, I didn't like it. He began to challenge me on being eternally minded and living in light of eternity and allowing the gospel to shape my motive, my values, my decisions, the things that are important to me. And he did this through showing me things that I had been valuing and how ugly it was and how self-focused it was. And I didn't like it because I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought, I'm doing pretty good, you know, 
I'm giving my, my time, talent, and treasure, and I had everything in its little box. Everything had its own little lane, and everything was working out so well. And I had been giving here, giving here, giving here. And I felt like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And then I went to this conference, and God just really showed me how I had attached my self-worth to certain things that I had either done or things that I now owned that maybe when I was a kid I thought when I'm able to be an adult and I can do this or buy this or accomplish this then I will have made it I will have arrived at the threshold of success and now I can call myself successful and I would look and I would compare myself to where my parents were when they were my age and I would say wow I'm, I'm doing so much better in this area or this area and I began to use that as a metric to find my own self-worth, and God showed me how ugly that was, and I didn't want to see it. <laughs> and I didn't realize I, I, what I had been doing, and I had made everything safe, and I had made everything comfortable. Even the good things I had done had become comfortable. And then there's this verse of Scripture <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12 that has been messing me up, and I honestly don't have a good answer for you of exactly what I'm supposed to do with it, and I don't think I will ever have a good answer for it. And that's something we need to learn is that it's okay as Christians to wrestle. You know that? It's okay to struggle. It's okay to wrestle. It's not a bad thing to wrestle. We criticize people when they wrestle. Who do we think we are? Man, everything is either this or that. No, there's some things that we just got to wrestle with, and God wants us to wrestle. And sometimes we're wrestling because it's good for us. And I wrestle with Romans 12 and 1. I wrestle with it. I don't like it because it causes me to wrestle. I want to be definitive. I want to be, tell me what to do. Tell me the formula. Tell me the steps. Tell me the box that this fits in. And God's like, there is no box. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. And I don't like that. Because when I think about the word sacrifice... I think about doing something that I really don't want to do. But I had put everything in my life to where it all made sense. I had readjusted my time, my schedule, my finances, the things that I own and the way that they're stewarded and used to where everything was made sense. Everything had its lane and it was comfortable and I felt good about it. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job because of all the things that I had done and things I had given up and inconveniences I was willing to make and how now it was just a comfortable coasting. And then God says this. God says, what are you doing that is making you uncomfortable? And I'm like, well, not a whole lot. I read the Bible a lot because it's kind of my job. <laughs> I study and pray a lot. Because it's my, part, it's my responsibility as a pastor to prepare sermons. And, do, and God's like, yeah, yeah, apart from that, what are you doing for me? What do you mean, what am I doing for you? You know, I moved to Wisconsin, God. You know what Wisconsin is? You know what happens in the winter? You know what I did? And God's like, yeah, but what are you sacrificing for me? I'm going, what do you mean, what have I sacrificed for you? Because you've gotten comfortable. What are you giving? Yeah, you let people use your truck, but what else are you doing? What are you holding on to that I've been requiring of you? Because a sacrifice is a conscious, willing, intentional 
inconvenience. And I thought, I'm not being inconvenienced very much, at least not intentionally. I'll do something for the Lord if it makes sense. And if I have it in the budget of my time, my talent, my treasure, then I'll do it for you, Lord. And I think that I'm doing pretty well with the things I had budgeted for my time, talent, and treasure to where everything made sense, everything lined up, everything had a box. But in light of eternity and in light of Romans 12 and 1, I got challenged where I've made idols out of things and I've been looking for success and things I thought I had to do or achieve by a certain age or whatever. And I had made these idols and I had been drifting over into self-reliance and the gospel confronted me and it wrecked me. And it's still wrecking me. Because when we came home from that conference, I wanted to sell my house and everything I owned and like go live in a tent somewhere. Not even a nice tent. Like pretty much the worst tent you could find. And I wanted to sleep on a pile of rocks, you know, or something. That's how I felt after that. I just wanted to give everything up for Jesus. And I wanted to remain tender to that, and I didn't want to lose that. And so I asked my wife, I said, am I supposed to sell this and sell that? I, I've made idols out of these things, where these things have become... And, and I'm like, what do I do? And God's like, yeah, that's not what it is. Like, because if I got rid of this thing or that thing, I, I just want it to go away. But God's like, no, I want you to wrestle. <laughs> okay. I just want the feeling to go away. <laughs> And God's like, I want you to wrestle. I don't want to wrestle. And God's like, it's good for you. Yeah, I know, but I don't like it. <laughs> because what it's caused me to do is it's caused me to remain in a state of evaluating my heart's intention in everything that I do. Now I'm evaluating my intent. Oh, why am I wanting to do this? Why am I pursuing this? Why am I chasing this? I don't like this. But if I wasn't in that wrestling state, I, I wouldn't be as sensitive to that. I would feel like I'm, I would get right back into complacency. And so I want to know what it means. In light of the mercies of God, in light of the gospel, to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Sacrifice is the key word there. Sacrifice. A sacrifice is not comfortable. A sacrifice is something that is willingly inconvenienced, that I'm very intentional with, that I'm saying, yes, Lord, I will willingly endure whatever suffering or doing without because I have learned to be content in all things, whether I am abound or whether I am brought, being brought low because Christ has given me purpose and has given me strength and he's saving me, he's strengthening me, and he's shaping me. It's Christ that has given my life new purpose. It is Christ that continues to give my life purpose and bring me back to what really matters and to live in light of eternity. When my wife and I bought our house, we sold our old furniture and we decided to buy new furniture. And when we, and when we went to the furniture store, we were looking for furniture with a purpose. We weren't looking for just the stuff we liked and the stuff we wanted. I said, honey, I want us to buy furniture that is going to be conducive to us having a small group in our home so we can bring people in our home and we can have Bible studies and community group in our home. And I want to live intentionally with our purchase, not just go, oh, that would look good. We said, let's do something that's going to be conducive to having a lot of people over in conversation. And we bought furniture with community group in mind because we want to live in light of eternity. I could buy just the stuff I wanted, 
but when the gospel is shaping my life, it reorients my purpose and my value system, and now I'm thinking differently. I'm not just thinking about my comfort. I'm thinking about other people being welcome in my home. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? It changes the purpose of your old truck that you just wanted to get rid of because you didn't like it. Or it was costing you too much money, and you're like, okay, I've got this thing. I kind of feel committed to it. (laughs) Now what do I do with it? And the Lord says, give it to me. Give it to me. What do you want me to do with this house that we just bought, Lord? Give it to me. Open up your home to other people. Okay. What are we supposed to do? We had an extra bedroom. What are we supposed to do? God says, open it up. Because I thought it would just be for guests that would come through our home. You know, but then I'm like, we only have like six people spend the night at our house, like my in-laws and whatnot. And the room like would stay like perfectly clean all the time. And when the house would get a little messy, I like to walk in that room just to go, oh, there's at least one in the house that is not, (laughs) you know, and you just walk in that room. You're like, yes. And you're like, all right, I'm ready to go face the rest of it. (laughs) And, and I, and, and that's what I thought the room was for. And God says, no, give it to me. So we gave it to God. God's using it. God will use anything in your life if you're willing to give it to Him for His glory, for others' benefit, to point people to Jesus. The gospel does save us. It is the, it, it is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But the gospel strengthens us, and it gives my life new purpose. And the gospel should always be shaping us as our values are being more and more molded into something that's going to honor and please God. Now, now we can understand with a greater understanding as we live life with a new purpose where Scripture says, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Everything. Because I'm living in light of eternity. Because the gospel's the motivator. Because it's not me. I, I don't deserve this. And God's like, I know, right? You so don't deserve this. But I'm going to give it to you anyways. Because I love you. You deserve my wrath. But because of Jesus, you're not going to get it. That's not fair. I know, right? Isn't that great? Doesn't it make you just want to give me everything and live for me? And our response should be, yes, here's my life as a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. He's not talking about singing four songs on a Sunday morning. He's talking about your life being a song, your life being a commitment of worship, your life bringing glory to God every day because you've said, I'm going to let the gospel shape me. I want to be a gospel-shaped person that's living in light of eternity. The gospel shapes my commitments, my schedule, the way I manage relationships, the way I manage my resources. It literally impacts every facet of my life. The gospel takes my heart out of a Sunday morning affiliation with the church and positions my heart to belong to the family of God. It changes my mindset. Some people, their relationship with the church is just simply to be an affiliate. I want to be associated with, I want to be affiliated with, but I really don't want to be a part of the family of God. But I want to be affiliated. The gospel takes you out of that mindset of wanting to be an affiliate and just get in with other people. Is it going to be messy? Yeah. Is everybody bringing their problems and their challenges to the table? Yeah. Is it going to be hard and difficult? Will you want to give up sometimes? Sure. But when you feel that way, you don't because Christ gives you strength to know how to do well and also how to walk through the harder times. 
Are you hearing me this morning, church? I give, I serve others, I love others with a seemingly reckless love because God has given me a new purpose and because a gospel-centered life understands that eternity matters more because God has saved me, He's strengthened me, and He's shaping me. There's so much more to the gospel. It should affect our lives and become sweeter and sweeter the longer we walk with Jesus. It's not something we get away from. It's not something we leave. It's something that should get sweeter and sweeter to us the longer we walk with Jesus. As we say, Lord, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. You are the leader of my life. I give you everything. What am I holding back? What am I holding on to that you're acquiring of me today? What do you want? It's yours. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word and to share the good news with our church family. I ask that you would just move on our hearts to transition from being hearers of the word to doers of the word to where it doesn't just become something good we heard on Sunday morning, but it becomes something that you teach us to practically walk out every day as we remind ourselves of the power of the gospel. If there's anyone in here today, Lord, that is not saved, I pray today is the day that you open their eyes and show them their need for the gospel. Even if they've thought that it's been because of all their good works that they know that they're a Christian, I pray that you would open their eyes to see it's not by works, but it's by grace through faith. And I pray you help them to see that and respond to that by believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth that Jesus, you are Lord. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for us receiving communion earlier in the service and reminding ourselves of the goodness of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.